Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in History. Uh, this is Marcus Grody, your host for this program, and, and uh, I'm joined as usual with my co-host, Monsignor Jeffrey Steenson. Uh, thank you, Marcus. It's a joy to be with you, and um, I'm, you know, getting very excited now as we approach um, the feast of Saint Irenaeus um, in just a few days, and and just to have this wonderful opportunity to go deep into um, the writings of. I think a soon-to-be future doctor of the church. It's um, it's a great privilege. It is, and as you mentioned, I think when you were at the last bishops' conference, I think you mentioned that it was a kind of a surprise that Irenaeus hasn't been declared a doctor of the church. Yeah. Though we've we've considered him in the authority I, all these years. I know, and and you know, it's just. Um, it's it's just one of those things. It's inscrutable why that hasn't been done. Um, I guess I guess we need more people reading the fathers of the church. That's probably the <laughs> oh. hence hence the wonderful thing about um, this podcast. You know, to encourage people to go deeper. Um, and, ex- exactly, and and those of you uh, listening, watching, I thank you very much for doing this. I recently. Was doing some searching for some other historical issues on the internet, and I found that there is now a plethora of historical podcasts on the internet. You know that uh, I've always felt the strategy of the devil has been a couple things. He has the devil works in stages. He'll he first tries to stop something, let's say with the gospel, to stop it, and then if he can't stop it. Then he um, uses uh, influence to ridicule it, to put it down, to deface it, to uh, and then persecute the people who have the audacity to proclaim it. And if that doesn't work, then he floods the market with alternatives. So that in the end, you wonder, well, which gospel? And you can use that with a variety of things that the Holy Spirit has done, whether it's the church. Now, which church is there? Flood of the market. Or the Bible. Which Bible? And I think this also plays out with the proclamation of truth on the Internet, that now the market is so flooded with ideas, it's become confusion. And so, if anything, Monsignor, that's uh, why we'd like to do that, not proclaiming that we are the only one voice on the internet that says it's true. We, we wouldn't presume to say that, but we want to convey our love for this great author as well as his message. And I was reminded, yeah. I was reminded of it this morning, that our goal is trying to eventually get to chapter th- to book three. <laughs> I'm so excited, yeah. <laughs> I was reading this morning as a part of my devotions uh, in my particular copy of the scriptures, the Catholic edition, the Revised Standard Version, it begins with a, uh, a copy of De Verbum from Vatican II. So I was reading as a part of my morning devotions this morning, De Verbum, I happened to be reading sections 11 through 15 or so, and it quotes Irenaeus twice. Yeah, yeah. In the footnotes on Scripture and the canon of Scripture and the authority of Scripture and the interpretation of Scripture, they go back to Irenaeus. Well, that's why we're I doing this. The, yeah. Oh, I think that's so. That's just wonderful what you've said there, because you know those um, those that um, council fathers that wrote De Verbum. Um, some of them we know were very, very fine scholars of, of the early church and, and especially Irenaeus. So, yeah, that's yep. good. Yep. You know, Marcus, um, to uh, tell our, our listeners, um, especially those that have um, a facility in French, that I, I mentioned that um, there's a very interesting 
28-minute film that has been done on the life of Irenaeus that can be found on the website of the Archdiocese of Lyon. And um, there's no English uh, subtitles. It's it's all French. Um, and my French is pretty poor. But you can get a lot out of it. I was especially touched by his early interactions with Bishop Polycarp um, and his, you know, sense of mission and call as he went west to to go and take the gospel to um, to what is Leon. So we'll have the link to that on the Deep in History portion of the Coming Home Network website for Wonderful. our audience. We'll do that. So chnetwork.org, yeah. and then if you go to resources, you find Deep in History, you click there, and they'll, it'll be posted there. So I'll make sure. Okay. Thank you, Monsignor. Now, our goal today, as we as we carefully walk towards chapter book three, and we're looking at book two, our goal today is to get is to look at chapter twenty eight. And we might get a little farther depending on time. And I would strongly encourage those of you that are reading this uh, book to reflect on chapter 28. And it is interesting, you know, we get drawn to book three, and so we read through, but um, I personally find what is said in 28 very historically significant. We just mentioned a moment ago that if, if you turn to De Verbum, the Constitution on Divine Scripture from Vatican II, that that document is references Irenaeus' words. So you see, 1,800 years later, the Church recognizing the value of what Irenaeus said in the end of the second century. Of course, Dave Arbum quotes Augustine and, and, and a whole bunch of other folks. But my point, as I read this, is that it's too bad that some of the bishops and leaders of the church in the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th century, 7th century, 8th century, 9th century, 10th century, in the 16th century, didn't listen to the words of Irenaeus. Actually, we might throw in the 21st century, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Um, mm. Mm. And when you look at reformers throughout the history of the church, you know, we, we, when we use the word reformer, we've come to think of that group of folk in the 16th century that caused a lot of problems, but really there were reformers in the church. Irenaeus was a reformer, going all the way back. There have always been, from the very, very, very beginning. Paul, in his letter to Corinth, was a reformer. In his letter to Ephesus, was a reformer. Um, we, there, there's always been those in the church that wanted to— I don't know if they used this— <laughs> This symbol of of a timeout, uh, but there are lots of people, lots of men and women throughout the history of the church that would say, "Excuse me, time out here. Where are we going here? Uh, is this in the direction of the words of our Lord Jesus? Yes. Is this in line with Revelation? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? Um, what about charity? Paul says in oh, yes. Ephesians four. Uh, you know, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Why? That we might be filled with the pleroma of God. That's what Paul says, the fullness of God. So how do you get there, especially when you disagree with people? Or in Irenaeus' case, when there are these voices, like today, pulling the people away from the authentic gospel. And in the midst of that, 
He says it a number of times, but I think particularly in chapter 28. And let's we'll, we'll nib our way through this, but the one thing I noticed on the as we begin with section 1 of chapter 28, Keeble on the side, as he summarizes, and Keeble gives wonderful little summaries. Those of you reading, I would always encourage you to read Keeble's summary first before you read a section, because it sometimes helps you catch the authentic theme. Keeble says here, we must cleave to him who gives both beginning and consummation. It's the call of cleaving to God. And here's how he begins chapter 28. Having therefore the very rule of truth and the witness concerning God opening, openly set forth, we ought not by solutions of questions, still swerving away further and further to cast out the firm and true knowledge of God. Rather, it becomes us directing our resolution of difficulties by this outline, while we practice ourselves in inquiry concerning the mystery and ordinance of living God, to grow also in love of him, who did and doth so great things for us, and never to fall away from that conviction whereby it is most expressly declared, that this alone is truly God and Father, who both created this world and formed man and bestowed upon his creation this gift of increase and called it from its lower conditions to the greater things which are with him. Monsignor, I just, I love that statement. They're just... Yeah, you know what, it, when I encountered that, I what spoke to my heart is that, you know, a theologian brings so much of his intellectual um, firepower with him to his work. And here St. Irenaeus is saying, um, that's only going to get you so far that you ultimately have to, the, the whole ground of our um, the core of our search for God is not in intellectual arguments, but it's in love for him, in love of him. And that love theme, uh, you quoted that uh, from Paul just a few minutes ago, that love theme is is absolutely crucial. It, it, the, when, when, G, when, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? Greatest commandment. In other words, Jesus, what's what's most important? His answer wasn't that you get everything right. His answer wasn't that you, you work diligently and you kill anybody in the way until you have grasped hold of that which is true. That's not what his answer was. His answer was that you love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. It was about love. Yeah, and Marcus, every age in the church needs to learn this lesson. Because I was, I was thinking, um, we just go 150 years later, we're in the middle of the Arian controversy. And those early decades of the Arian controversy, you don't find much love on either side. Um, the theological work that is done is... Um, it, it's very heavily on the argument side. And it's, it, you know, it's only later in the whole controversy when we begin to see people trying to um, exercise this proper humility yeah. in searching out the mystery of, of um, the word made flesh. And I, I it just, it strikes me as, um, you know, you get when we get in the middle of a theological controversy, um, we immediately race to the uh, intellectual arguments, and we lose sight of this. Yeah. When in fact, this morning I was in my devotions. I just happened to in my devotions. I I'll be honest with the audience. I don't follow the liturgy of the hours. I don't. Uh, uh, I just 
I have about four places through the Bible that I work through from beginning to end, you know, an Old Testament, a, a, a wisdom literature, a, a Psalms, a, a gospel, and an epistle. I just have my ribbons in there, and I just work through the Bible. So I never know what's coming up on a given morning, and this morning was Romans 12. You know, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And, of course, it goes on. But, you know, when you think about what's coming ahead, Paul himself dies as a martyr. And what happens in the next 150 years, 200 years, there are a lot of people that offered their bodies as living sacrifices for Mm -hmm. what is true. That was love. They so loved God and Christ and trust that Polycarp, the words of Polycarp were about love. And he was the teacher of Irenaeus, offering his body as a living sacrifice. Now, we've kind of spiritualized that. What does it mean, bodies living? Oh, you know, everything. They meant it literally in a certain sense. They died. And when the the Arian conference of Versi, they're at each other's throats about these issues. And there were people within their midst that remembered it's about charity. It's about charity. And, and you know, as we go further into against heresies, um, I mean, we are in agreement, I think, that Irenaeus is pretty rough on his opponents. Um, but we find him, as we go further into this book, he pauses to pray for them. I was deeply touched by that. Mm-hmm. It is, and... You know, he goes on in chapter 18, 28, I think, to give, as he does in other places. I suppose if we were looking at topically, we could pull together all those quotes so we could look at Irenaeus in the top, but we're following it differently through. But um, he goes on, now it is the one and the same creator who both framed the womb and created the sun, and one and the same Lord who both gave the stalk growth and increased and multiplied the wheat and prepared the garner. I think we quoted that one maybe last week. What it reminds me of, Monsignor, this whole thing here is, I remember, and I don't want to be negative with Protestants on this point. It's not my calling, my point. But I remember when I was a pastor and I would gather in my little churches where I was a pastor. And we did this at seminary too. And we'd sit down. And I, as a pastor with my laity, and we would sit down and say, okay, what is the truth about baptism? What is the truth about baptism? And the way we pursued it was we would open the Bible, and we approached it as if we had we ought to approach it as a clear slate. Let's don't bring to the Bible any of our presumptions, ideas. Mm-hmm. We set all those aside, and let's hear what God has to say about baptism. And so, whether at seminary or in the past churches I pastored, we'd have people that would look up in a concordance where, it give, let's look at every verse that has the word baptism. And then by reading all those verses, we will then discover the truth of baptism. Now, there's a danger in that, right, Father? And the, and the danger of that can be the opinions of everybody gathered there or as if we... Starting with us, we will now discover what's true. It's like a session of the Supreme Court. <laughs> oh, Lord, help <laughs> The Supreme Court ain't supposed to be that way, but sadly, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But that's why, that's why in, as Irenaeus pauses in the midst of this long diatribes against these false teachers— He starts in chapter 28 by saying, having therefore the very rule of truth. In other words, you don't begin with a clean slate. That's right. That's right. And we've talked about that, haven't we? That regula uh, veritatis here, or sometimes the regula fide, uh, rule of faith, the rule of truth. Um, there There is a guide. And, and as we go further toward the end, at the very end of book two, he has that wonderful summation where it's all, 
it starts with the father and his revelation. Um, so it's the patriarchs, the prophets, our Lord Jesus, the apostles, the church, and it all fits together. There's, Paul writes in Romans 15.4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the point is that there's this long rule of faith. It didn't just begin with Jesus because he points his disciples to that which we've received. He says, I'm, I, I've not come here to, to, to uh, get rid of a dot or tittle of the law, but to fulfill it. So you have this long tradition, and then he passes it on to his apostles, and they pass it on to their apostles. And Paul says, hold on to fast, stand firm on the tradition that you've received from us, right? He says that in 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, I forget, 2.15. You know, hold fast, he says it in First Corinthians eleven. Hold fast, you know. Hold First Corinthians fifteen. This is what I received. So you, there's a reception of that truth, and you preserve that. And in Irenaeus is all the way through the deposit of faith, the rule of truth, and Scripture. They're all together, and that's what Dave Verbum was trying to say: is that they're one deposit. Yeah. So we aren't starting from scratch. So we begin our discussion with the exception of God as creator of everything. And the love of him is the foundation. That's We begin there. He is the same creator that created everything who both framed the womb and gave the stock growth. You know, that's where we begin. We aren't starting. Today, we're full of people and voices on the internet that know it's a clean, clean slate. There's no creator. There's none of that. We start trying to figure it out ourselves. There's kind of a couple fossils here, and let's figure it out how it happened on its own. You know. Section two. Um, Go ahead, Monster. Oh, I was just said respond to that too. Um, so that began. That chapter begins. You know, he, he invokes the rule of truth. And though St. Irenaeus doesn't ever use this technical term, this becomes extremely important in the, in the church as we go forward. Um, um, even in the catechism, we're introduced to this idea of the analogy of faith. Well, I, you know, at first, we use the word analogy in a different way um, than, <laughs> than it's used here. Um, here it means um, it, it means uh, it, we begin with this with this first principle, God the Father, and everything, absolutely everything, all truth, everything is ordered to that first principle, and so um, as we contemplate the revelation in Scripture and the teaching of the Church, we're we have to be so careful that we don't wander off like the Gnostics did in some weird direction. Yeah. Um, everything has to fit together. It all has to come back to that one first principle and a logos, you know. You know, Monsignor, I, I don't, I, you know, we have a translation here that is probably multiple, you know, from Greek to Latin to English. Yes. I would love to have known whether that word for rule was the word canon. Because you know, I will, uh, Marcus, we have a few Greek excerpts from Against Heresies, and I will see if I can run that down. Certainly the Latin is, is canon. Um, Which again gets to what yeah. we understand scripture. Yeah. This canon, which is rule. And it's a rule. It's literally a ruler. Yeah. And it's a ruler. So when we, when we start examining questions, that's what he used that little phrase, right? Mm -hmm. By solutions of questions. We are not by solutions of questions. Still swerving away further and further to cast out the firm and true knowledge of God. The solutions of questions. 
It reminds me of, of, of uh, Francis de Sales' introduction to the devout life, where he talks about how do you discern whether that's temptation or an inspiration? How do you discern? Because you got that little whisper. And one of those whispers is questions. Questions. And pretty soon your whole faith is driven by the solutions of questions. Yes. And we, yeah, that's, I mean, as he begins this chapter, he nails it. And, and the whole question of the, uh, the canon, the rule, um, I, you know, you're a very practical soul. Can you imagine setting out to build a house without a tape measure? <laughs> Just... Just using your own intuition as you measure the rafters and the joysticks and all that sort of thing. Can you imagine what we'd come up with? You know. Well, it's funny you mention that because I've been doing a lot of work on my farm lately, and someone asked me what the name of our farm is, and I used to jokingly say that it was Weedem and Reap. You know, was the uh, <laughs> the name of my farm. But I've come to the conclusion lately that really, that if I could, the name of my farm would be MacGyver Farm. Because I'm out there sol making solutions, you know, building uh, raised beds for my potatoes and putting up fence lines for my cows. And I don't have a plan in front of me. I'm just doing it. But it isn't based on scratch. It's, it's based on, if you will, rules on things that I've learned over the years, trained as an engineer and done lots of things. There are rules I'm following. When I'm, when I'm doing this, it isn't from scratch. I'm not bringing up, every time I do something, it, it's not a, a, a question from scratch. Mm -hmm. It's not brand new. It's based on the wisdom I've learned from people and from books and from stuff. There, there's, there's stuff that come together. And that's what Aaron Asa says is that there, there's a foundation here. You've got to begin somewhere. And one of those assumptions is God as creator. And as soon as you take that out of the equation, it undercuts everything. Yes. About everything. life, everything. About value, about, about property. Everything. If you take God as creator out, of, and that's the world we're in today. The absolute craziness of everything. And we don't want to get political on this program, or, or, you know, we'll be taken off the air. But... <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, that's the craziness in this world we live. Yeah. yeah. But I want to, we'll go from there. Okay, that's into section okay. two. Oh, man, I, I almost have in section two almost entirely highlighted. Because this is what he said. And if we cannot discover solutions of all the questions which are raised in Scripture, yet let us not be seeking out another God besides him who is. For this is very great in piety. For such things we ought to leave to God, who made us also, being aware, as the very truth is, that the Scriptures indeed are perfect, as uttered by God's Word and His Spirit, while we, in such measures as we are inferior, and very far removed from God's Word and His Spirit, just so far are we wanting in the knowledge of his mysteries. Wow, let's pause there, Monsignor, and unpack that sentence. There's a lot in that sentence that I think is extremely important. Because for one thing, he does affirm the perfection of the scriptures. So we have Irenaeus in the year 175, affirming the perfection of the scriptures and he raise and, and he affirms throughout that the scriptures that by this time are not merely the old testament canon that's right because yeah. we have virtually a he, with some small exceptions the new testament canon is in place at this point so so already the Holy Spirit is leading the church to recognize the New Testament documents that will be a part, and it isn't until later, actually, with some of the men that that Irenaeus critiques, I think Marcion particularly. Yeah, especially that, Marcion. That, that forced the church to say, okay, time out here. 
we've got to decide which of these many documents are in and which of them are out of the canon. But at this point in time, there's seemingly, at least for Irenaeus, he speaks, he quotes almost every New Testament document as trustworthy and authoritative. But he also affirms that there are questions that Scripture, that arise from Scripture. And, and then he says, there are things that we ought to leave to God. So that humility is so important. It's a, such an important prerequisite to being able to approach the truth. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a book on my, uh, in our collection of books here that we use when we evangelize. We, we have a, a selection of books that the Coming Home Network has set aside that we give away to people when they have questions. They have questions. So we have trustworthy books. And one of them is entitled, Did Adam Have a Belly Button? <laughs> what did, what, what's the solution to that? <laughs> did Adam have a belly button? Well, that, that's the point of the book. The book was written yeah. um, to teenagers to help them answer big questions they have uh, that come up with teenagers, you know, and that was one of them. You know, well, if God created Adam from nothing. He never had, he didn't have father. He wasn't born in a womb. Did he have a belly button? Did God create Adam with a belly button? And there we are. And we could sit here and argue or, you know, the, the wisest among us could give his opinion or her opinion. Um, and his Irenaeus's answer is, uh, in another place, and maybe we'll get to it, that if God wanted you to know that, he'd have told you. And and he goes on here now to say that there's a reason why. Go ahead, Monsignor. Um, why don't you head, pull us okay, ahead here. Uh, so we ought to, such things we ought to leave to God, who made us also, being aware, as the very truth is, that the scriptures indeed are perfect as uttered by God's word and his spirit, while we, in such measure as we are inferior and very far removed from God's word and his spirit, that's the second and third person of the Trinity there, just so far are we wanting in the knowledge of his mysteries. So when we honestly place ourselves in the scale of being, if you will, um, I mean, there's an infinite space between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the creation. So that being the case, it must apply also to what we are able to know. And what we do know is given by grace, not by our fine detective work. Yeah. In fact, I think the next sentence, he goes on, and no wonder if this befall us in spiritual and heavenly things, and in such as require revelation, since even of those things which lie close in our way, I mean those which make part of this creation and which are both felt and seen by us and are with us, many have escaped our knowledge, and these same we commit unto God, for he must be high over all. So he emphasized there the requirement of revelation. That the details of those things which are beyond our normal way of discerning things that are around us, a part of our life that we see and feel, that the deeper part requires revelation. And I love when I think about that, to think about Romans chapter 1, where it reminds us that there is evidence, God put evidence of his, of his being in creative acts in his creation. They're visible for all. He talks about that. Which lie, of these things which lie close in our way. So in other words, they're there. But so anybody through creation should recognize that there is a creator. And he, Paul says, and you're without excuse. 
but to know God the Son and his Spirit and how they relate together require revelation. And that's a bit what Aaron Asses is getting to in this section. Monsi. I, no, I, I, Marcus, forgive me for the, d- doing this uh, and the words that come, but I'm trying to translate it into a modern idiom here. When he goes on here, what if we try to explain the cause of the rising of the Nile? <laughs> Think about all the debate you know we have about um, environmentalism, those issues today. And yes, there are perfectly rational scientific explanations that we can advance, but they, and they may be persuasive, but perhaps they're also not persuasive. Even in, even in this, you know, trying to do science in the way that the world is knit together requires a certain sense of humility. Um, you're, you're, you're living up in, up in Minnesota. Are there lakes in Minnesota? Theoretically, 10,000, yes. Okay, there's a gazillion lakes. And how many yeah. fish per lake? Oh, no, there's a wonderful question. <laughs> <laughs> there are many lakes where they're not, we can't fish this year. <laughs> oh, there you go. And then you get, then what you do catch, you got to throw back, which to me is yeah. just a yeah. sin. But anyway, I, I vaguely remember a time when I was fishing as a young man with my father, and we were on a fish up in Mich- at lake up in Michigan, and and there was a stranger also fishing. That was the day where you could go out fishing and, and you'd actually talk to another man out there fishing. Today, if you did that, they'd think something's like you're trying to. Anyway, but uh, we were sitting there by the lake with our bobbers all out there and and, uh, and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. And of course, now the big question arises, well, why ain't it happening? What's wrong? And my dad and I were just sitting there, you know, and I'm sure my dad was drinking a beer and I was, you know, sipping on a sun drop or something. And, uh, and, the, and the stranger says, yeah, it's, uh, it's the wrong phase of the moon. That's why they're not biting. It's the wrong phase of the moon. And I didn't know what they were talking about, but my dad wasn't a big believer in the phases of the moon. He said, nah, it's just hot out. He said, no, it's the wrong phase of the moon. And they got in an argument with a stranger about why the fish aren't biting. One theory, you know, was the was the theology of the phases of the moon, and the other was the theology of the weather. Is it is it a big cause that yeah. you know of the moon or is it a local? <laughs> as St. Irenaeus says here, <laughs> perhaps it's persuasive. Perhaps also not persuasive. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In the next line, I have highlighted and circled in my copy. Okay. It says, but what is true and certain and fixed is laid up with God. Period. (laughs) Period. That's it. (laughs) What is true and certain and fixed is laid up with God. Period. And he goes on to other issues about birds and this and that and this and that. And you go down into that paragraph, the end of section two. In all these matters, our words indeed will be many while we seek out their causes. But only the God who makes them speaks absolute truth. I think that is so spectacular. And how how comforting it would be because I mean we have to live in this noisy world where we have to people are talking at us in all different directions to basically have this peace in the soul um, oh. to, to acknowledge that you know ultimately it is up to God yeah I that's uh I was thinking about my dad and, his, and that guy arguing over why the fish aren't biting. And and sometimes I want, you know, I look back and thinking, you know, really the joy of fishing has nothing to do whether you even have a bait on the hook or not. <laughs> you know, if the joy of fishing has only to do with catching a fish, then then why fish? You know, it has to do with a whole bunch of other issues. And... And it's me that the reason that connects with this is that 
in the history of the church, sometimes people got so caught up in arguing the solutions or the questions that they forgot what this is all about. And so yeah. you begin with the premise that what is true and certain and fixed is laid up with God, period. That's a great quote to memorize from Irenaeus. That is, I think that's a really important point you make. I'm going to put another star here. And in all these matters, our words yeah. indeed will be many while we seek out their causes, but only the God who makes them speaks absolute truth. Those two sentences in, in section two, in my view, of chapter, book two, chapter 28, section two, those two quotes are worth the purchase of the book. Let's move, though, into, let's see if we can complete section three today. I've got the entire chapter highlighted. So, Monsignor, I know that you think the only reason to live is to get to book three, but I think, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking here, of course. He begins chapter uh, section three, and, and, and um, Keeble's summary on the side of section three is, God teaches us some things here, some he will teach hereafter. And this is what he says. If among the very things of creation, some are laid up with God, while some have come also to our knowledge, what hardship is it if of the points questioned in the scriptures also, the whole of scripture being spiritual, some by the grace of God we solve, why others must be laid up with God. And that not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, so that God may always be teaching and man throughout learning of God. Don't you think that's um, one of the hardest things for our souls to grasp <laughs> is that principle? I, I remember when I first um, read the Chronicles of Narnia, um, at, we get into the last book there. And uh, Aslan has, they, the kids say, well, where's heaven? Where, is the, where are the fine streets of gold in heaven? And he says, it's higher up and further in. And I just I was I've always been haunted by that um, that um, that it's the journey to God is an eternal journey. That you know the Eastern Church, the Greek, the mystics in the early church, that was one of the things they really emphasized that um, we can, we never actually arrive. It's a it's yeah. a endless eternal journey to God and to truth. And he, he, I think he picks it up beautifully here. He captures that idea. Yeah, yeah. again, I almost a little bit gets back to my analogy with fishing, whether you put a bait on it or not. It's the it, it's the beauty of fishing. When I used to milk a cow with my boys, and I'm not being critical of my sons. My my sons are far holier than I am. But I, sometimes I got the impression that their goal when we would go out to milk our cow was let's get this done so we can get on to that which is more important. And I tried to get him to see, you know, this this particular moment, this experience of of milking this cow of, of, of beauty. And I taught them to to milk the cow to the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and kind of the idea was, how do we make this moment of great value? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, I think that's what he's kind of saying here, is that, you know, there are things we know, there are things we know, those are of God, but, you know, they'll come in time. Uh you know, but it's our time with God and being grateful to him. But we get caught up in the, as you said earlier, the solutions of questions that we we miss the moment. We miss the moment. You know, in that first section of uh, three, of, of section three, that God may be always teaching and man throughout learning of God. It was, I was just thinking of, you know, there is in, in the Christian life, there is a matriculation as we begin our studies. 
there is no graduation. Hmm. He is always going to be our teacher yeah. for eternity. And he measures, I'm not, I can't remember the word that was used in De Verbum, but it talks about how God, as he revealed the truth of, of him, did it in stages. Um, as he as he helped us as a civilization grow, it, it was an evolutionary idea, but it yeah. was God saying truths as as he said through Moses about the creation. He used imagery uh, that he would use differently through through the prophets and pointing to Christ. That there was a is it condensate con. It was the word for not condensation, con, condescension. Um, con condescension. I think was him coming down to us and using oh, right. our language, yeah. even yeah. as his word became flesh. Is that idea of God coming down? So I mean that to <clears throat> me, this you know, God always teaching, man always learning. We're in this long period of 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 realizing God's truth, and we are to humbly be begin by him as creator so that we're able to receive that which he says. If you don't begin with God as creator, everything else he's going to tell you isn't going to make any sense whatsoever. So, so Irenaeus emphasizes that. He goes on, as also said the apostles, that, that the other sorts being done away, these three do afterwards abide, namely faith, hope, and charity. For faith, which is in our master, abides ever firm, assuring us that he only is true God, truly God. Also that we truly love him always, because he is the only Father, and that we hope from time to time to receive and learn something more of God, because he is good, and hath unbounded wealth, and a kingdom without end, and an uncircumscribed moral government. I'm going to pause there. I mean, there's just so much in that little statement. But he does bring in the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, and then he applies those to the knowledge we receive that God gives us of his being. It's beautiful. It is, it's a beautiful way that he takes that text. He goes on, if then, in the sense which we have now stated, we refer some of the questionings to God. We shall both keep our faith entire and remain out of peril. And all scripture given us of God will be found in harmony with ourselves. And the parables will harmonize with the things expressly uttered and the open sayings will solve the parables, and through the variety of tone in our sayings, he will perceive in us one harmonious strain. Extol, extolling in hymns God, the creator of all things. He, he seems to be trying to pull back all these guys that have been drawn away by all these solutions of questions upon questions upon questions and all that. He's bringing them back in humble humility to recognize God as creator, that he is, in, in, in the sense in which he is so far superior to us, that we need to be humbly recognizing that everything we have is from him, even the stuff we've learned through our senses. And then through the, the gifts of faith, hope, and love, we move forward in knowledge, faith in our master, love for him always, and hope, I love it, from time to time to receive and learn something more of God. Yeah. <laughs> and what you, what you read um, in what follows there reminds me of that last time we uh, had our podcast, we talked about that passage about the liar. Um, yeah. Not L-I-R-E. -L um, the idea that it's not one string but it's the harm, harmony of all of the strings that create a beautiful sound. And 
he draws on that same metaphor here, I think, as well, um, that we we can stay out of peril if we if we you know listen for this harmony in in the beautiful rule of truth that that um, Scripture lays out for us. Yeah, there's a one of his sentences, almost a throwaway sentence, if you will, really spoke a lot to me. Because he says, extolling in hymns, God, the creator of all things. So with all that he's been saying, he almost on an aside recognizing that all this truth is expressed through hymns, that they must have a, be existing at the time of Irenaeus, extolling in hymns. God, the creator of all things. I don't know what the word is, the Greek word behind hymns. I know that Paul talks about with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's more than just the psalms. There were songs and hymns, spiritual mm-hmm. song, songs that he talks about. And the reason this jumps out at me is one thing that is a mystery in a way uh, today is how do we understand the work of God in the lives of, for example, non-Catholic Christians? You know, we looked at the history of how the church has understood the necessity of being Catholic and the sacraments and all that and how, how we understand the work of God in non-Catholic Christians, and again, I'm speaking to a Catholic audience right now, but for those of you that aren't, you know, maybe to understand it, a conundrum that when you see in the history of the church of the last 200 years, you see the church has kind of changed its tune a bit in its relationship to the appreciation of God works outside the church. And uh, we can get to a big discussion about that. But one of the proofs in my mind that the church recognizes the work of grace in our separated brethren, such that there's a mystery there on on our relationship, a good mystery. Recognize that through our baptisms and faith, we are united in many ways. One of the ways, to me, is the evidence, is the hymns. The hymns of God. I mean, you can't open up the Liturgy of the Hours every day without there being a hymn written by Isaac Watts or, or you know, most of the hymns Catholics sing at Christmas and Easter were written by non-Catholic Christians. That's right. You know, the great hymns. Uh, I was out yesterday when I was out working, and, and one of my favorite hymns that goes through my mind often when I'm out is, This is My Father's World. I love that hymn. Um, Or all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small. These are wonderful hymns. You know, on a hill far away is an old abandoned cross. Remember St. Augustine's words about a hymn? He who sings prays twice. Yeah. And so when I see this, extolling in hymns God, the creator of all things, to me that affirms the reality of the work of grace through the great hymn writers that express a unity amongst Christians that we may not experience, but sometimes we extol when together we sing, How Great Thou Art, or Be Thou My Vision, these wonderful hymns that unite us because behind it is a humble recognition of God as creator. And that's what Irenaeus is talking about here. Let me, Monsignor, I'm going to read the rest of section three and then and then throw it onto your uh, court to reflect on it. I have it all highlighted. As for instance, should anyone ask, before God made the world, how was he employed? We say that the answer to this rests with God. That this world was indeed made fully complete by God 
having a beginning in time, the Scriptures teach us. But what were the workings of God before this? No Scripture declares. This answer then rests wholly with God. Neither oughtest thou to be after inventing such foolish emanations so rudely blasphemous, nor to reject God himself, the maker of all, because thou thinkest thou hast discovered the emanation of matter. And, and of course, this goes right back to St. Irenaeus's burden with the Gnostics. You know, they were trying to basically elevate themselves over God and trying to discover something that existed before him. And, um, and that's blasphemy, as he says here. Um, so it's, it's, it's absolutely important that we do leave certain questions um, to God, that we, can't, we don't have the capacity to find the answer to them. Um, otherwise, if we think we do, we are in effect placing ourselves over God. A father says to a young child, don't touch the stove. Well, why not? Don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. If we needed to know why at that age, he'd have told us, but we wouldn't have understood. Just trust me. Don't touch the stove. That's, that's an attitude we're to have yeah. with many of the questions. If, if, if God felt it was important for us in our holiness, which is most important, in the way we love one another, he'd have told us. If not, don't get distracted on that because it will take away from our holiness and from our charity, as it did in the history of the church, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And also, unfortunately, Monsignor, we're not even going to get through chapter 28. <laughs> Are we getting close to that? We've got so much. It's amazing how rich this is. It is. So chapter we're chapter thirty. You mean right? Well, we're now we're in we're in twenty eight, right? We are. Um, yeah, we're in chapter. No, I'm. We're in book. We're in uh, chapter thirty, aren't we? Nope, nope. We're in chapter. Oh, no, are we still in? We're in chapter yeah. twenty eight. You just Sorry, want you just want us to get us to book three so fast that you're losing track. <laughs> we're still in twenty eight. Oh, I know. I just. Sorry, all these all these little annotations get confusing. Good stuff, stuff in here. Good stuff. Yeah. We're going to pause there because of time, Monsignor. Okay, so we have we have gotten to um, we've gotten to chapter twenty eight, section three. Uh, or, we finished. We finished section three. So next time it's going to be starting on section four. We'll start section four. I'm quite sure we'll finish. Chapter 28, there are some quotes in 29, and our goal will be at least to jump us into chapter 30, I think, right, Monsignor? Isn't... Yeah, I would hope. I'm so excited to get to chapter 32 because I yeah. found so much interesting stuff in that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll make sure we, we get through that, page 189. There's some good stuff on page 192, which is chapter 32. Um, so our goal, if we could possibly do that, uh, I still think we'll need two more sessions to get through chap through book two. But if we make that our goal, that we will two we'll more sessions, we'll get through book two so that in through we will get to book three because there's good stuff. Right. All right. And, and remembering, of course, that there are some questions that we simply have to leave to God. <laughs> Where'd you hear that? <laughs> Monsignor, could you close us with prayer? I'd be happy to. Okay. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Increase in us, O Lord, the faith you have given us and bring to a harvest worthy of heaven the praise we offer you in this day. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Monsignor, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, for this. Marcus. 
And all of you watching, listening, thank you very much. We look forward to any questions or comments you might have. We want to make sure this program uh, helps you draw closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom and, line. And again, just to uh, remind you, because once we put up that link to the Archdiocese of Lyon um, web, website, um, there's an amazing amount of stuff, even though it's in French, um, but the Archdiocese is getting ready for this really big celebration of the Feast of St. Irenaeus this year. And um, it, I think that'd be a lot of fun for people to explore that. Hey, and if any of you out there can translate French into English, we'd love to have somebody do the, do the translation for us of the program. Yeah. So. All right, thanks. Monty. That's right, because you can't you can't ask a Frenchman to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Monsignor, thank you, thank you, everybody. God bless, God bless you. Okay, thank you.